decided to give you the scriptures that we're looking at today. This will give me permission to do this for a whole hour, see. Absolutely amazing. Why do you Christians make so much of the blood of Jesus Christ? Why do you do that? Now, as I told you at the beginning of the service, the key verse is left out. Leviticus 17.11 The life of the flesh, your physical, biological life is in your blood. Early in this history of this country, and I think it was with George Washington, they thought they would, they would help to heal him by draining his blood. Medical science hadn't caught up with this thing yet. What happens if you drain all your blood out? You die. Why? Because your life is in the blood, is in your blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, God said, I have given it, that's the blood to you, on the altar for an atonement. It's the blood that makes an atonement for sin. And so, in the Old Testament, why was an animal sacrificed? Because it was the shedding of blood. And you'll notice in every one of those animal sacrifices, it was beyond the killing of the animal. It was in the shedding of the blood of the animal. And the thing that made it effective was that that blood was sprinkled. That blood was taken and sprinkled on the altar in public appearance before God. It was taken ultimately on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, and sprinkled there. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you find out that the blood of Jesus Christ was somehow taken into the Holy of Holies in heaven in a tabernacle which man did not pitch it was a heavenly tabernacle after which the earthly tabernacle was patterned. Be sure you make it according to the pattern. Moses was told the pattern that was given you on the mount. So if you please, blood is tremendously important because it is life. Now, let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a little while, for just a moment. God said there's a tree in the middle of this garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you are not to eat of the fruit of that tree because the very day that you eat thereof, dying, you will surely, with certainty, you will die. You will die. We go to the New Testament. The wages of sin is death. And so the evidence of a death in the slaying of the victim is the draining of the blood. So you have, in our Lord Jesus Christ, you have the ultimate fulfillment of the demands of God. The wages of sin is death. Now, you're awake, right? We're here at around the Lord's table. We have bread, which represents the physical, human life of Jesus Christ, without which the blood of Christ could not have been shed. We have the cup, which represents symbolically the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us on the cross. So we have in Jesus Christ, we have the antidote, dying you will surely die. Well, how did he save us? By dying our death. A certain death. The shedding of his blood gave us the certainty of that death before the Lord. So we have what we call precious redeeming blood. Why is the blood? Of, blood is not, do any of you like to see blood? 
But there's not something I like to get on me. You like getting it on you? Don't care if it's yours or mine or anybody else's. It's very, it's just something that is kind of, we have an aversion to it, natural, natural aversion to it. But it's life being poured out. Now, you'll notice, and let's go through this very, very quickly, how it's just described then in the New Testament. We have in 1 Peter 1.18, it is, it is precious redeeming blood. You are not redeemed with perishable things, but with precious blood. The precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now, what does the word redeemed mean? It means that somebody had to pay a price to get this done. Redeemed means to repurchase. It means you get something back that you lost. It means that God is seeking to get back to himself lost humanity. But in order to do it, it costs him the death of his son. So there's a price that is paid. What is the price paid? It's the death of his son on the cross. That's why his blood is redeeming. It's repurchasing blood, you see. That's why it is precious blood. It is valuable blood. It is honorable blood. Honorable and priceless blood, if you please, as it's described in 1 Peter 1. Now you will notice that... That it, the lamb was unblemished. The lamb was unblemished. Uh, we come to Exodus 12, and uh, in the Old Testament, God said, the kind of sacrifice that is acceptable to me must be perfect. It must be without defect. All right, now, who in history could have died then for our sins as the Lamb of God other than Jesus Christ? Who was without defect? who was sinless other than our Lord Jesus Christ. See? So when we're, when we're celebrating, we're, we're taking this cup. I mean, this is sinless blood. Sinless blood. And you, you, you have this reiterated through and through here. In Hebrews, uh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, without defect to God, okay? No defect at all. In First, Second Corinthians, the one who knew what? No sin, okay? So one of the doctrines we teach and we preach is the sinlessness of the life of Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, another statement, in other words, who committed what? He committed what? No sin. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question at this point. How long does it take you when you're living with someone to find out all their problems? I call the first year of marriage the year of discovery. That's when you find out what you really got. Now, you know a lot about it when you get married, but you don't know half of it. There's a lot more that runs a lot deeper that you know nothing about. And you don't find it out until you live with somebody in close relationship. Is that correct? How many of you children do not know your parents' faults? You know them. You live in close relationship. How many parents don't know your children's faults? 
Ah, you know all about them. How many of your brothers and sisters know about your brothers and sisters' faults? How do you know? You live in close relationships. Anybody here has a husband or wife that is sinless? Let me see your hand. Anybody here have a son or daughter that's sinless? Or a father or a mother or a brother or a sister that's sinless? Now you know that that's not true. Let me ask a question. How many apostles were there? Twelve. How many of these disciples, how long did these disciples live in close relationship with Jesus Christ? Three years. Three years. Three years they lived in close relationship with him. They worked and they ministered. They saw him under all kinds of conditions. I'm going to read for you as our deacons wait on us in a moment. We'll read again from Isaiah 53. He was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Uh, despised, rejected, just humiliated. Now, I've got a question for you. How many of us could live under those conditions and be sinless? Now, he lived under those conditions. His disciples unanimously tell us he had no sin. Either they were dishonest or Jesus Christ really was the Son of God. You think about that. He wasn't only sinless. Now, Hebrews goes to, to, the, to the nubbin of this thing. Hebrews 4, look at this on your, on your, on your page. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been what? Tempted in what? Some things? All things, as we are, and yet without sin. All right? All right? So, on the top of the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, as we go on down, God perfected the author of our salvation through what? Through sufferings. And through the sufferings and the rejections and all the abuses of man, he committed no sin. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 7, he was, he was innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And John tells us, in him there is no Sin. Period. Period. So we are not just going through an exercise, a ceremonial, religious, sacramental exercise here today. We're creating nothing. We are celebrating the truth that we are saved through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which included the hanging of his body on the cross and the shedding of his blood for our sins. We read about that in Matthew. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What is the covenant? The covenant is an unbreakable contract or commitment. It is permanent. It cannot be changed, altered, or broken. This is my blood of the covenant. It's a covenant of salvation. Luke describes it as a new covenant because in the Old Testament, it was sealed with the blood of animals, but in the New Testament, it's, eternal, it's sealed with the eternal, infinite, shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews 9, we find out that it's powerful, 
purging blood. Verse 22, according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding, that's the pouring out of blood, there is no forgiveness. I, I, I have my, uh, my own personal translation here, apart from the pouring out of blood, the, the, the Greek text uses the word to become, apart from the pouring out of blood, forgiveness does not exist. According to this, no one ever receives salvation apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Period. Forgiveness of sins does not exist. It does not exist. So, this is quite a celebration. It's meaningful. It's significant. It's meaningful and significant. Would you find in your hymn books, please, hymn number 141. There is a fountain filled with blood. Just a wonderful, wonderful hymn. We'll sing stanzas one and two and three and four. We'll omit the fifth as we sing this through. Hymn number 141. Hymn number 141. Could you give us the note, please, on that? And what did God have to do to save us? Well, he had to come personally in the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son came. God didn't send angels. There was nobody else qualified, nobody that was infinite, nobody eternal. But he had to be infinite and eternal and human. Absolutely amazing how God saved us through the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is a lot different than most people understand. We wouldn't be saved without it, huh? God in flesh. That's one of the necessities. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So very, very important. So our Lord Jesus was gathered with his disciples in that upper room, and he took bread. Took from one loaf. We're going to eat separate pieces today, but took from one loaf, from one, one, everybody getting life from the same source. It was the picture there. We're going to... Uh, he took the bread, and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples. So let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Reading from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men. And he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. <coughs> by, his, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Once again, we don't get saved by eating bread. This does not turn into the body of Christ. It cannot do that. The infinite, eternal Son of God came in flesh, literal human flesh. John said, we've seen him, we've listened to him, we have observed him carefully, our hands have touched him and handled him. He is indeed flesh, God in flesh. And in that flesh, he died for our sins on the cross, and we memorialize that here today. We praise God for it, we remember it, and we find great encouragement in the love of God today and the death of his Son in flesh for us. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, it's given for you, this is personal, it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, his great compassions, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver 
or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your hope and your faith are in God. Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to celebrate our own goodness? Huh? Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to say, now I wonder if I'm good enough to get there? How have I done today? How have I done this week? Isn't it wonderful we can trust an all-sufficient Savior? And isn't it wonderful that God does not change his mind about his promises? Huh? This cup is the new covenant. New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. So he said, every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. What does the name, what does the word saved mean? Tell me what it means. If you're saved, you have been rescued. You have been rescued from the judgment of sin and death and hell. Wonderful. Are you saved? And do you know it for sure? If you don't, you need to trust him today as your Savior. (coughs) Wonderful God. Let's go out of this place with joy and boldness and zeal and witness for the Lord and carry on his business. We've got work to do.